Let's pray. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So, I was, uh, I was in Colorado last weekend on a ski trip, as you've heard, with three of my friends. And yes, there are actually three people who would, will admit to being my friends. Quite apart from skiing, though, my friend Mark and I were reflecting that we feel the same way when we're around mountains. While many around us stay busy with, with various things, Mark and I often just stop and gaze at the mountains. Something about the mountains makes me sort of reframe my life and take note of the transcendent, the inescapably vertical, that which is awesome, not in the, not in the sense that we use it where everything is awesome, you know, that was an awesome hamburger or whatever, filled with awe and wonder. The second day that we were there, when the snow cleared, we woke up to a mountain uh, that was transfigured by wind and light. Uh, okay. Back. Uh, yeah. That's the closest thing I can think of to a mountain transfigured. Later, we got to ski on such mountains. Am I in and out? Is this steady out there? And in the Rockies, when you're, when you're 11,000 feet in the air, on a clear day with fresh snow around you. It, it's just blindingly white. And it's a bit easier, I think, to relate to Peter and the disciples on the mountaintop with Jesus. It feels like a transfiguration. It's so bright. And uh, so I had the picture of me and, uh, okay, on the top of the mountain. Uh, Got to have sunglasses or you will be uh, blinded. Okay, my little personal experience tie-in. Our lesson today is about a strange, mysterious experience the disciples had on the mountaintop. Now, it was terrifying because it was a blinding revelation from God, standing in the presence of something so transcendent as God utterly humbles you. As Peter watched Jesus turned radiant white. And as he watched Moses and Elijah appear and thereby validate Jesus as a key part of God's unfolding story, Peter was moved to act. Lord, let me make a, a booth, a dwelling place for you. And I'll make one for Moses and Elijah as well. Man of action, Peter, right? And as Peter was mobilizing to spring into action and seize the moment, God's voice cut him off, well, frankly, before he could even finish his sentence. And what did God say? Peter, this is my son with whom I am pleased. Listen to him. In other words, forget about the booth, the tent, the dwelling place that you want to build. <laughs> Shut up and listen. Take it all in. 
seize, let the moment seize you, Peter. Let the moment seize you. Now, this is reminiscent of a lovely scene at the end of the movie Boyhood, where the boy that we've watched grow up for 12 years is now off to college. He's just getting to know some of his new classmates at college, including a young woman with, he, with whom he seems to have some, uh, some chemistry. While on a little hike off campus, they sit down and grow a bit philosophical, and it is to the point. Okay, in addition to a little budding romance probably happening right there, we don't know, it's the end of the movie, there is a profound insight. You've heard um, Carpe Diem, seize the day or seize the moment, as she referenced. There's much truth to that, by the way. Uh, in life, be proactive, don't just sit there, right? After all, God calls us to be co-creators with God of a better, more trustworthy, more hopeful and loving world. Yes, we are participants. Don't just sit there. And yet, the young woman in the movie is right. Even more profoundly, the moment seizes you. Translated, we are part of something much bigger than us that comes to us and is given and laid before you on a silver platter. A very theological statement. It's like the transfiguration. With God and in the life of faith, sometimes you need to just sit there and watch and perhaps wait. And above all, listen and receive. In fact, this is where faith and religion begin. It is the most fundamental aspect of our faith. When God says to us in the Psalms, you've heard this uh, certainly, be still and know that I am God. You ever heard that uh, verse before? Be still and know that I am God. The implication is, if you are not still and in constant motion, you may not know this. You may run around thinking everything depends on you and not receive. Be still and know that I am God. This is what God was saying to Peter here. He was also saying, this is my son. So Peter, zip it. Stop trying to build things. And just listen. Take it in. In fact, Philip Toynbee argues that the basic command of religion in general is not do this or don't do that, but simply look. Linguistic scholars believe the root word L-I-G, pronounced either leg or lidge, in the word religion means, quote, to pay attention, or to give care. So, the transfiguration is, story is more about being than it is doing. And sometimes it involves waiting, as Sinead has reminded us. But what is it that we're paying attention to or waiting for? What is it that we are looking and listening for? Let's dive deeper into the appearance 
of Moses, Elijah, the cloud and, and the dwellings and all. Moses and Elijah were, of course, great prophets and leaders from the past in this story. Uh, centuries ago, long dead, right? Their presence now is a testimony that Jesus is a part of their story and on par with them, these great revered figures. In some traditions, it was believed that Moses and Elijah would only make an appearance when the promised Messiah would be revealed. So, we are learning, Jesus is the one that they've been waiting for. Indeed, if it appeared that these three figures were of equal importance up to this point, that was only temporary. When Moses and Elijah vanished and there was only Jesus remaining, Jesus himself alone, as Matthew takes great pains to express, and God's voice directing attention to him. Listen to him. He is my beloved son. Jesus' importance was also reinforced when Peter proposed to build three dwelling places, or another translation for that is tabernacles, one for each of the three luminary figures. Now, the tabernacles, booths, dwelling places proposed by Peter is a direct allusion to the tabernacle in the wilderness after the Exodus where the Shekinah dwelt over the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Shekinah, of course, what does that mean? It was the fiery cloud, you might remember from those stories, symbolizing the continuing ongoing presence of God among the people while they were in the wilderness, hovering over the tabernacle. But all God says is, listen to him, while the other two disappear. Did God ignore Peter and step on his question about building the tabernacles? He didn't even respond to it. No. Here's what God was saying with that. Jesus, Jesus, not the tabernacle, will now house my presence on earth. Jesus himself alone. He is the tabernacle. God's abiding presence with us. Jesus is the Shekinah. As Luther reminded us famously, there are three solas that matter, meaning one only. Uh, sola fide, uh, faith alone, sola gratia, grace alone, and sola Christus, Christ alone. Christ alone is our Savior, and we do well to learn to listen to him. But let's probe deeper. What, what does that mean? Let's be real. We're probably never going to see Jesus mystically appear in dazzling white like in our gospel story today. You know, out in Colorado, it was about as dazzling white as I could possibly get, and I, I, didn't, I didn't see Jesus manifest before me. Then again, maybe I did. Stick with me. Mark Twain gives us a clue. He once said, and I quote, you can't depend on your eyes when your imagination is out of focus. It's pretty good, huh? A text like today encourages us 
to use our imaginations to see the God who has come to us and is in our midst, the God in Christ who is the new tabernacle on earth, the God who shows up in our world in people around us, for starters, in our neighbor, in our friends, in our children, a lot. Are you still enough to see it? Or perhaps it means learning to look and listen for other ways that the transcendent God appears to us, like the majesty of nature, for instance. That's one that most people can relate to. In the comic strip, Peanuts, it's one of my favorites, Snoopy's brother, Spike, did you know Snoopy had a brother, Spike, who lives in the desert, writes a letter to Snoopy with his back against a cactus. And he writes, I quote, at night the sun goes down and the stars come out. And then in the morning the sun comes up again. It's so exciting to live in the desert. It's kind of funny and it's kind of, kind of beautiful. Do we know what a gift such things are as the sunrise and the sunset? The transfiguration can teach us that the world is sacramental. It is alive with the presence and the gifts of God, and for that we can learn to live a life of gratitude, knowing that we live in such a world. This is what faith practices are all about. We've talked about faith practices, right? They're, they're essentially, whether it's dwelling in the Word or prayer or discernment or any, any of those things. Faith practices are learning to listen and to look for the God who is among us in Christ. But what does God's presence for us mean? Let's go a little deeper. What does God want to say to us through it all? This God who is inescapably present for us, even transfigured at times, though we often miss it. This is what we will end with this morning. Here is what God is saying to us, I think, in the transfiguration and in the cross. Our lesson began with a discussion of the cross and in the life that Jesus lived. Are you ready? Here's what we learn through Jesus, that God is love. It's pretty simple, that we are loved. The enormous distances and lengths this God has gone to be with us and to bear our pain with us is done out of love. Therefore, this story, this is the key twist, is not just about Jesus' transfiguration. It's about yours. It's a part of it. Through baptism, through faith, you're a part of the transfiguration. Sam Keane has written the following. I suspect we are all recipients of cosmic love notes, messages, omens, voices, revelations, and appeals are all part of each day's events. If only we know how to listen, to read the signs. Back to that theme. That's why we must learn to talk about this stuff more 
to read the love notes from God, just like Peter was learning to read God's love note in the Transfiguration. So yes, we're not far removed from Valentine's Day, and it's true. The cross and the transfiguration are both love stories. And uh, there's no better illustration of this. Uh, And I'd like to kind of wrap things up here today with another film clip, Beauty and the Beast. I think you've heard of it. Where Belle's love for the beast saves and transforms and transfigures him. Let's take a look. Don't ever think that isn't a theological story. That's the story of all of us. Locked in our own version of beastliness and freed by the love of God. Figured. God's love through Jesus in conclusion, is God's Shekinah, his tabernacle, his presence on earth. God came here to be with us, to heal us, to give us hope, to even die on the cross for us. To believe this is to be transfigured and transformed. Faith is our transfiguration, a faith that causes us to look and listen. You promise me one thing? Let's try to help each other to pay attention and to look and to listen, to nurture and to grow our faith, always. Amen. Please stand.